morning, First Church. Welcome those from Hebron and uh, Jasper County Jail. We're glad you're part of this this morning. Before we jump into the Word of God, let's go to the throne of grace and prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just thank you. I thank you for this day, the day we get together and worship your great name. Lord, this morning as we open up your word, that you would speak to us, that you would speak through me. Lord, help me not to get in the way. Father, I pray you open up our ears, our eyes, and our hearts to get something that would help us run the race that you've called us to. Pray this morning you would speak to hearts. You would change us. We would walk out of here different than the way we came in. And we pray this in your holy name. Amen. I don't know about you, but I don't like to watch commercials. In fact, I'll have the remote in my hand, and I'll basically watch two shows. I'll watch a show that I'm watching. As soon as the commercial comes on, I zip over to the other, other show because I don't really care about commercials because they just annoy me. And one commercial caught my attention one day. This is going to date it a little bit, but I was watching this commercial. I was probably during the football season, and it was a support group. All of them were sitting in a little circle. And it was like the support group for the fastest people in the world. And, of course, it was like a Nike commercial. They're trying to promote their, their Nike Air tennis shoes. And uh, some of the people that were there, like Ben Johnson, a track star, Gail Devers. Um, they had Kenny Lofton of the uh, Cleveland Guardians. They had uh, Gary Payton of the Seattle Supersonics. They're not even around anymore. The Supersonics are, aren't there anymore. And so all these fast people, UPS guy. I think they had a sushi chef there, Michael and. Ready race car driver and had all these people and they're talking about all the problems they have because they wear these Nike Air tennis shoes and it makes them so fast and and Ben Johnson's talking about all the problems he has that when he has his shoes on he just doesn't walk out to the mailbox that he runs to the mailbox when he's sitting at the dinner table and he has the Nike Airs on he can't just chew his food he chews it too fast he can't digest it properly and all these problems the little kids say why is that man so blurry and, and so it was and and sometimes commercials, you watch them, and then all of a sudden it kind of hits you that there's something. Scripture kind of reminds me of this story a little bit. This little passage reminds me of something like that. And so they had these fastest people, and I was thinking, man, we have something like that in the Bible. The, the Faith Hall of Fame, it's like the champion chapter of all these people who had great faith and accomplished unbelievable things through God working through them and how they trusted God in the midst of all that. And so in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it's quite fitting that the chapter starts out with a great definition of what faith is. Faith, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. And we see that lived out in many people in the book, in this chapter, in in Hebrews about great faith. And it talks about Abel and Enoch. And, but it comes to Noah. Now here's a man God appears to him one day and says, I want you to build an ocean-going vessel like 500 feet long. And uh, I want you to build it. Now, you have to remember the, the context is because we know the whole picture. We've read through the Bible. We've read the story of the flood. And so he wants him to build this ark. And it has never rained, that we understand, never rained on the earth. And so everything's watered by springs. He says, God appears and says, I want you to build an ark to save your family and all these animals, because I'm going to judge the world. And so I don't know about you, but, you know, you think about it, 
God spoke to you about building this huge ocean-going vessel. Maybe there was a river nearby, but you're not thinking flood at the time. And I'd be out there, you know, starting to cut my logs that God asked me to do, and I'd be chugging on that saw, and it'd be about, I'd be about 20 minutes into the project cutting my first board. And I would sit there and have a, you know, crisis of believing. Oh, hey, are you really sure about this, Lord? A flood is coming? Are you sure? Oh, yeah, okay. Or I'll keep cutting. And I just keep cutting on that board. Now, you picture this because Noah does this. He works on this ark, and it says it takes him 100 years to build this ark. Wow, what kind of faith did he have? And it had never mentioned the, the faith that Shem, Ham, and Japheth had. I mean, think about it. Your father, you try to get your son to go out and mow the grass or be a part of some project you created in your mind to do, and it's like pulling teeth to try to get them to do something with you. And let alone, can you imagine Noah, the crisis of belief, trying to convince his sons that there's a worldwide flood coming and that God has asked him to build an ark, and then Shem, Ham, and Japheth, your sons, join you in building this ark for 100 years? Think about what great faith that took. Talks about Abraham. It says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. God appears to Abraham and says, I want you to leave your country and your people and go to the land I will show you. And the first question goes in my mind, well, what land? What people do you want me, where do you want me to go? You got to tell me exactly. I mean, if you're taking a trip or planning a vacation, you want to plan each one of your stays. Well, tonight we're staying at this inn or we're staying in the desert or, or we're going to camp in tents over here. That's the first question you'd ask. It's, you know, I want you to leave your country and your people, everything that you've known, I want you to leave and go to the land I will show you. We want all these directions, but by faith, he packs everything up, doesn't get any directions. He didn't know where he was going and he just went. And he walked with the Lord, and by faith, God carried him through and showed him the land. Later on, we, we hear about that Abraham has a son, and all of a sudden, it, it says that by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And so here he has his son, and it says that, Abraham loaded all the firewood up onto his son. So his son carried up all his firewood. So he's buying not like five or six or eight or maybe not even nine or ten. He might have been 12, 13, 16, 17 years old. And he's carrying all the firewood as they climb up this mountain. And you always read about Abraham's faith, and we know the whole story, that God intervenes and doesn't let him sacrifice his son. But think about that. What do you think is going through Abraham's heart by faith? God tested him. And we always read about Abraham's faith, but what about Isaac's faith? Think about that for a second. Think about Isaac's faith for a second. Okay? Fathers that are here, okay? Between you and your son, who's going to win in a foot race? You look, you can you know, look at each other in the eyes, oh, I got it, you know. But if I were racing my sons in a foot race, it wouldn't go well. Well, think about it. Any point, Isaac said, I'm done. When I found out what the sacrifice is, I'm, I'm out of here. But I believe that Isaac willingly allowed himself to be bound and set on that altar for a sacrifice. Because he could have booked it any time from Abraham. Abraham's over 100 years old. Who's going to win in a foot race? Huh? Duh? Great faith. Later on we read about how uh, by faith the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. So God does these incredible plagues in Egypt and people just stood in awe. 
And then God takes them out of Egypt with his mighty hand. And the Egyptians had traveled out and they're now by the Red Sea. And Pharaoh goes, what have I done? I let all my slaves go. And he goes and pursues them and he gets 600 chariots. And it says that every chariot in Egypt emptied out and all his officers and all the troops. And they went and pursued the Egyptians. And then they're there by the Red Sea, trapped by the Red Sea. And here comes Pharaoh's army. And God begins to dry up the Red Sea right before them. An east wind. Now we have the whole story. We've read all of Hebrews chapter 11. We know what happens at the end. But imagine if you were there. You were standing at the water's edge and you're looking down this long tunnel going out into the, into the sea and you see hundreds of foots of columns of water pushed up to the right and to the left and you, you sit there at your small kids and you go, what are we doing? I can't even see the other side and it goes into darkness. What is at the end of this path? And yet they cross through the Red Sea. They step forward by faith and cross the sea. What did they see when they were walking there? Big, huge fish and, 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 and whales swimming by. I don't know. And it's really interesting. I find it kind of comical when I look at my Bible maps and, and you look at the map in the back and it shows them not even crossing the Red Sea. And I don't know if it's because they don't have towns. I believe the guys that made these maps have more faith than the people did who actually crossed the Red Sea <laughs> because when you look at the maps, it has them not even crossing the sea, has them crossing a desert, it has them rocking around the Red Sea, has them crossing maybe a swamp or a couple of ponds. It must have taken great faith to believe that, well, God drowned all of Egypt's chariots, horses, his whole army and all that in a swamp or in the middle of a desert, like I buried him with a sand hill. I don't know. We think about that, what great faith those guys have. And it says, I don't have time. He goes on and talks about the walls of Jericho fall and the faith that Rahab the prostitute had when she welcomed the spies. And he says in verse 32, it says, what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, is Justice and gain what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. You look at this whole chapter, and then you glance over to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It says, therefore. A lot of times the word therefore is a connecting uh, word that connects all of Hebrews 11 in this passage to what is being stated in Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, think about the witnesses in this room. Think about the witnesses where you are. He says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, I think he's talking about the host of heaven. They're watching. They're cheering us on. This is Sarah, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Think about these men. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Moses, David, all these guys that are standing there and are cheering us on. You can do it. Don't give up. You can do it. I work in youth ministry. And so a lot of times you'll be with the teenagers and you'll be visiting with something and you hear over your shoulder, hey guys, watch this. And one of the things as a youth pastor, 
You better be the one watching because whatever they're going to do is they're going to either hurt themselves badly or they're going to break something in the house. And you want to at least be able to watch what's going on so that you can explain or like, you know, you're in an emergency room and you're explaining to their parents later. And, and it usually it's usually teenage boys that do things like this. And so if you're a teenage boy, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And usually you need at least three or four other buddies or usually it's girls that are watching because guys always like to show off in front of a group of girls. And so, hey guys, watch this. Well, I had my little moment. I was with my wife. We're on a hike and we're up by Matano Falls and we're hiking down the trail and you come to the side of the falls and there's this canyon and my wife was sitting there and we're walking. Oh, that's a really cool picture of a, of a waterfall over there. And so I will walk around and I'll jump and I'll get right in that rock right in the middle and I want you to take a picture from, from the other side of this. So she's on the other side of the canyon. Takes me a few minutes to walk over. When I got over there, well, it wasn't just a little hop to a rock. It was like a five to six foot, six to eight foot jump. Up. And it's like, that's not going to be easy to get over to. So I just, wait a minute. And I kind of look at her and I back up and I back up and I, I back up and I just, I take this run. I'm like booking it and, and I'm running. And, and just as I go to jump, my foot hits the rock where there's water on it. And I go to take off from that and I don't get any, there's no leap. There's, I mean, just boom. I go face down, boosh, right into the current and all of a sudden, my, the water's taking my legs. My legs are dangling over the edge of the water, and I'm hanging on to this rock, and I pull myself up there. My heart is up in my throat. My wife's on the other side watching this whole thing, and she's like, you could just hear the gasp from the other side of the canyon, and her heart's up in her throat. But I know you know what I'm talking about. You're at a sporting event. You're one of, you, you, your parents are coming to watch you play at your sporting event. And it could be soccer. It could be cross country. It could be track or football. And when they're there and they're cheering you on, your parents are there. You kick that ball a little harder. You're a little more focused in, in what you're doing, whatever the sport is. With tennis, you're hitting that ball and you're drilling it to the back, back baseline. You're doing everything. You have your basketball game. You're hitting every shot, everything. You're running that race. You're running that much harder because your parents are there cheering you on. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the whole host of heaven is cheering us on, and they're watching, and they're saying, you can do it, Scott. You can do it, Sarah. Don't give up. Fight the good fight of faith. Don't quit. Don't let up. You will make it through this, and they're cheering you on. It says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, all these men and women in heaven, they're cheering us on. I really believe that's what's going on. They're watching our lives, and they're cheering us on. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. You watch the National Football League in, these, in a week here. They're going to be playing football, and they line up on the line across from each other. These guys are huge. And they get down in their stances and they, they just erupt. The offensive linemen are trying to keep the defensive linemen back. And whichever side of the line wins usually helps win the football game. The offensive pushes the defense back. The defense tries to push the offense back into the quarterback or get to the quarterback. And some of these defensive linemen, they're really smart. They make these moves and they, they kind of have it planned out in their head what they're going to do. And sometimes you'll see them, they'll, they'll line up and they'll run to the right away from the quarterback to get the offensive lineman to lean one way. And once they get them leaning that way they cut back or do a you know, spin move they'll spin around and they'll they'll go back in but they'll catch just part of that offensive lineman I've seen them just take their arm and just kind of swat just throw them away and you see this 325 offensive lineman just go oh like that getting pushed out of the way when I think about throwing things off 
getting them off of our back. I think of marathon runners and they show up for the race and they're at the starting line and you know they got their cowboy boots on and they got their skinny jeans on and they got their t-shirt and their sweatshirt on and their, their leather coat and they got a backpack on and they have their phone in their pocket and their wallet and their keys and they got a whole backpack full of water jugs and food and snacks and you know maybe even their homework with them. I don't know. Does that the way they show up at the finish at the starting line? They wouldn't probably get much past the starting line. No, they wear as little as possible. In fact, they wear these little tiny short shorts that are really lightweight, and you don't even feel like you should even look at them. And, and it's like they're wearing really thin, lightweight material. Why? So that they're lighter and they can run the race more effectively. You see, I always looked at this verse growing up. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. And I thought, well, that's referring to my sin. No. That's referring to the loads that we carry. The things that we carry in life that weigh us down. Those burdens. Those things that we worry about. The things that we fret about. Things in our families. Scars from the past. Past failings. Things where we've fallen short. Problems at work. Um, supply line issues. You ever made a mistake that cost your employer money? You can worry about that. You can worry about your job. And these loads that we carry, these things that we carry around, we're trying to run this race. A few weeks ago, we were out in Glacier National Park. I had a bunch of teenage boys out there. We're hiking in the mountains, and we're climbing. And, and it's, like, it's like a 10-mile hike. We're going up to uh, uh, Iceberg Lake, and we're hiking up to this lake. And so we're walking on the trail, and I'm walking by, and I kind of scoop up a rock, and I kind of walk up behind one of our guys who's carrying a backpack, and Boop, just drop it in. Just keep walking along as we're walking on a trail. I scoop up another rock and just kind of come up and visit with them. Just kind of reach around and, you know, there's another pocket open. I keep dropping rocks in his backpack. Anyway, so that's terrible, Jeff. How can you do something like that? Well, if you're 53 years old and you're trying to on a, go on a hike and all these teenage boys are like climbing like mountain goats and, they, and you're up there sweating and puffing and they're, what's wrong with you? Why are you breathing so hard? Just trying to stay alive. And, and, and so I'm just trying to e e equal out the, the field a little bit. And so, you know, some of us are just like this young man. Man, you should tell, there was a ruckus at the lake when we got up there and he, he goes to get his food out and there's like 25 five rocks in his backpack. Oh man, I almost got baptized in uh, Iceberg Lake. It was not good. But you think about all the things we carry. First Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on, on him because he cares for you. The things that we carry, the loads that we carry, we can give it to Christ. We can't carry him alone. Sometimes we're trying to run this race and we're, we're just carrying such a heavy load that we can barely even run, let alone walk. What are you carrying today? What loads have you brought into this sanctuary when you showed up this morning? What things have happened this weekend or even this week? You know what Christ says? He says, come to me, all you who are weary. And burdened. And I'll give you what? Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find what? Rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What have you been carrying? Your past? Your family? What's going on in your family right now? Oh, 
tell you the family stuff will just cut the heart rate out of you. It'll weigh you down. You ever have conflict at home? You ever had conflict between other people in your home and you try to intervene? Think about the pressures of the workplace, trying to provide for your family. And then we also have an enemy out there. Yeah, Satan. He'll come and whisper in your ear. He'll whisper terrible things in your ear. He'll tell you that you're worthless and you're no good. Yeah, I know this. I've been there. I'm there right now. I hear it all the time. I've, I've been told to get out of the ministry for the last 35 years, usually about every other night. Told I'm no good. I'm not good at being a youth pastor. I'm not good at being a pastor. I can't speak anything. I don't have a good memory. I'm not good at English. I've heard every excuse under the book that Satan will try to throw at me. And I know he does it not only to me, but he does it to other people. In fact, every one of us have probably been in that situation. Satan will sometimes use our thoughts and sometimes our past. He'll try to remind us of our past and our past failings. He tries to load that on us. And then we carry it. And if something goes wrong, you even listen to the voices even more. What kind of loads have you been carrying? 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says we need to take every thought captive and make it obedient to Christ. And I always thought it had to do with purity issues, about thinking about impure things or things that are not appropriate. But no, I was talking about every thought, including those little thoughts that Satan puts in and speaks into your ear. And when you quiet your mind and you lay in your pillow at night, that's why I really like to read. I like to read my Bible. I like to read. Just get my mind off the day's pressures and stuff like that and just talk to the Lord about all the things that have gone into my day. Set my mind at rest. But those times when Satan will speak and whisper in your ear, Take those thoughts captive. You know, as Satan continues to come after you, it reminds you of your past, reminds you of the things that you failed at, the things that you're not good at, or try to tell you things that are not true. I found taking Scripture is important to fight those battles. I want to give you a Scripture this morning that I found helpful with me for removing these loads, these loads that Satan tries to load up on us. Sometimes the things we allow to think about ourselves and you want to know how God thinks of you? Well, listen to this. It says, but you are a chosen people in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. God chose you. You are chosen. You belong to him. Your royalty sees you as kingship. A holy nation. You see, God is pleased when he, when he looks at you. He is pleased. He is blessed. And it's, it's not because of what you do. It's because who you are tethered to. So when God sees you, he is pleased. And Satan will come and try to whisper to you and tell you that you're something that you're not. He may take your past and remind you of your past. Things you've already been forgiven of that you're done with. When Satan comes, and he does that, if he tries to remind you of your past, remind him of what his future is, what's coming. That's right, Satan, it's coming for you. Judgment day is coming. Remind him of that. Jesus quoted scripture to fight off Satan, and he said, be gone. And that's what you need to tell that old devil to do, is be gone when he tries to whisper in your ear. Therefore, 
Since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Sin that entangles. We had two teenage girls in our youth group uh, named Kayla and Vanessa. Now, Vanessa was a, a, a cross-country and a track star. She was fast. In fact, she could beat every boy in our youth group in a foot race every time. And so one day we're at a park in North Minneapolis, and we're at the top of this giant hill, and two of the girls, Kayla and Vanessa, decided to have a foot race down the hill, which became quite comical by the end of the time because we're all sitting up there, and they have this race, and they start booking it down the hill. And the first 10, 20 feet, they're doing pretty good. But you know what it is when you get to the steeper part of the hill, and, and your feet can't keep up with you, and all of a sudden you're starting to flail your arms trying to keep your balance, and you keep leaning further and further forward? Well, this is exactly what is happening to Kayla and Vanessa. But Vanessa's doing a lot better. She's about five or six feet in front of Kayla. And Kayla just, she just biffs it. I mean, just right into the dandelions, feet over the top of her head backwards, you know. And we're laughing. We're cheering them on. We want them to, to make it all the way to the bottom because we see something that they haven't seen. There is a great big puddle at the end of this hill on the other side of the bike path. And it's amazing. I mean, it's like the, half the size of a sanctuary. Well, it's 25 footers. And we're up at the top. You can do it. You can do it. Go, go, go. Yeah. And I tell you, she got where she could see that puddle. And it no longer became a race anymore. It all became about how can I stop before I land in this puddle? And you see her trying to put the brakes on at a full speed, leaning forward. No, she biffed it. She skidded. You can see the foot marks all the way to the puddle. It was awesome. Skid marks, kabloosh, and there was a splash that came out of there. And, of course, we didn't laugh at the top of the hill at all. We, we thought it was great. And we, we came down and helped pick up all the pieces and stuff. And, but, uh, yeah, when you think about running this race, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Some of us are trying to run the race with our shoes tied. We're trying to run the race with our shoes tied because of sin that has entangled our feet, the things that we've allowed in during the week. And sometimes they're big things, sometimes they're little things, and we're trying to run this race. And you think about when you come to Christ, the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so when you come to Christ, and when you come to Christ, it's not that hard. You're saved by grace through faith. It's a free gift. And you receive this gift and you have eternal life and you're now on your way to heaven because you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now the hard work begins because God wants to start cutting out all those things out of your life that are sin, that don't need to belong there so we can reflect God's glory uh, through our lives. And so he wants us to become more like him. And so we got to start taking care of those sins and, and remove those. And so we need to confess them to him. And there are times when we're in our walk with Christ that we try to even justify our sin. And we get good at it. Well, it's okay that I'm mad or I hold on forgiveness because the way he talked to me. I have every right to be that way. I can respond to them because that's the way they responded to me. You ever try to justify your sin? And some of us get really good at it. Or we try to minimize our sin. Well, that's not really that bad of a sin. That's not like killing somebody or robbing a bank. That was just a little bitty lie. Or, you know, that was just a little bit of gossip that I shared. And sometimes we try to ignore our sin. Well, I'll deal with that later. I'll put it off. No. We need to deal with our sin. That way we can run with the race, not like with our shoes tied together, but that we can run. 
and charge after the race. 1 John 3, 6 says this, No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has ever seen him or known him. And I'm not saying that you're going to be perfect and never sinless. But when God brings something to you, you hear it on a Sunday morning. You hear it when you, as you read it in your Bible, you see it or, or somebody confronts you with it. And sometimes there are men in the Bible and women in the Bible that need to be confronted with their sin. Blind spots. What do you do when you're confronted with your sin? When you see it, your eyes are open. like, oh, man. Do you harden your heart? How dare you tell me that? Or do you soften your heart and realize I've blown it? I'm, I, oh, I've let God down. What do you do in those instances? Do you harden your heart or do you soften your heart and claim promises like 1 John 1 9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, will forgive us of our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. I look at it this way. Every time I sin, I'm like that Roman soldier that grabs that mallet and I grab that nail and I have Jesus on the cross there and I begin to drive the nails into his hand every time I sin. That gives me a little better picture about what my sin did because because of my sin that Jesus was hung on the cross. You follow these verses even further. It says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. I think of perseverance, I think about one of the kids in my youth group. His name is Nick. He's endured 38 surgeries to help with a spinal bifida. But you've never met a young man who has more joy when he walks into the room, there's nothing that he can't do or he doesn't try. Uh, water skiing, rock climbing, sports. I sat there in his recovery room, only three of the 38 surgeries, and saw what he has to go through every day. I think about him. He gets up every morning. And he goes after it, full of joy. I think about Walter Payton. When I think about running with perseverance, that man ran with a football with a vengeance. He ran 16,726 yards carrying a football, scored 110 touchdowns in his career, and he's at the Faith Hall of Fame, and he's being inducted. And, I mean, just unbelievable what kind of punishment he had endured, sometimes getting hit by men who were 100 pounds heavier than him because he wasn't a big man. He was five foot 10, 190 pounds, and they asked him after he was inducted in the Faith Hall of Fame, he said, how did you endure such punishment? Walter Payton sits back in his typical Walter Payton way. He says, I just kept getting back up. I just kept getting back up. I didn't quit. That, my friends, is what perseverance is all about. And you look at verse 2. So we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. And he sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. You fix our eyes on Jesus as we're running that race. We don't run all around aimlessly. No, we have one goal, running to the arms of Jesus someday. You see, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And we need to keep our eyes focused on Christ. When I was a kid, I played on the playground during during recess time. I wasn't very good at baseball, but they played baseball, and I went out there because that's what all the cool guys did. I was scrawny, I was skinny, I was tiny, uh, and, and I wasn't good at it. I couldn't hit the ball uh, even past home plate hardly, but they always made the last guy pick, which is always me to be the catcher, so I was always a catcher. And so I'm sitting there catcher one day, and I'm down there in my position, and Tom threw the hardest fastball he's ever thrown. And of course, what am I doing? I'm in a catcher. 
But I'm not paying attention. I'm focusing, talking to the guys on the bench. And pow! Oh, man, that baseball hit me right in the chops. And I'm first of all, you kind of check to see if all your teeth are there. And, and, and uh, you're, you're trying to figure out, oh, your li lips are numb and it's swollen out. And you can see the stitch marks going right down my lip. And like, oh, did that hurt? But I took my eye off the ball. Peter had the same problem. Jesus said, get in the boat and go to the other side of the lake, the Sea of Galilee. And so they were right smack in the middle of God's plan, and a storm comes on the boat, and they're out in the boat and getting tossed back and forth, and there's lightning and wind and waves, and they're going to be swamped, and they're bailing water, and they think they see Jesus coming on the water, walking across the lake, and he's about ready to pass them. And, and, and Peter says, if that's you, Jesus, tell me to come to you on the water. And Peter steps out of the boat, and they think, what are you thinking? But he was the only guy that got out of the boat and he walked towards Jesus. But as he's focused on Christ, he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to look at the wind and the waves. He began to look at the lightning cracking all around him. He took his eyes off Christ and he began to sink. Don't forget that the very one who came from heaven is cheering you on. What's keeping you from setting your eyes on him? Don't look at all the things around you that are swirling around you, the storms, the troubles, the debts, the doubts. Focus on Christ. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that soils the entangles and let us run with perseverance a race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. A number of years ago, a man was at Niagara Falls watching the water go over the falls. And as he was at Niagara Falls, he was watching some of the ice flows that came down that river. And he see it get there. And it's just exciting to watch it tip over and plunge into the abyss. An iceberg and little ice float, chunks of ice everywhere. And he was watching some of the seagulls. Some of the seagulls had landed on, on these icebergs. And they were like chipping away at the little minnows and bugs and things that were frozen in the ice. And they were just having a grand old time eating. And they just kept eating it up. And he'd watch as that flow would get near the edge of that water, and that waterfall, and it would tip and go. And just as it went over, that bird would flap open its wings and begin to flop, flap like crazy. And they'd fly off and not drop down into the abyss. And he watched one bird come by, and as it was floating by, he watched a seagull who was eating this really big fish, and he was really enjoying his meal. And as that iceberg got to the edge, it tipped, and it began to fall. And just like all the other birds, that bird flapped out his wings, and he began to fly. And he tried to fly, but down he went. And his feet, because it was flowing and it was cold, his feet became frozen right into that block of ice. He stayed too long on that block of ice. And when that ice went over the edge, whew, that bird went with it. You see, we're just a pilgrim passing through. What are you trying to hold on to in this world? What burdens are you carrying today? What sin has entangled your feet to keep you from running the race that God has marked out for you? And what areas have you taken your eyes off of Christ and looked at everything else around you? Let's pray. Father, you are a good, good Father. And we love you. Lord, there are things in our lives, as I reflect, and as we sit here as a church family, reflect in our own lives the things that we have been carrying 
these loads that we were never meant to carry. And we need to start claiming some of these promises about giving them to you. Casting our anxiety, casting our burdens on you. Let, letting us take your yoke and taking our yoke off and giving it to you. Lord, we need to do that this morning. Forgive us for trying to carry these things that we were never meant to carry. And Lord, the sin is the, the things that we've brought into our lives, we've allowed to creep in, the, the compromises, the, the little inch that we've allowed Satan to take, and now it's a mile. We're down this path. We need you, Lord. We need you to take the sin away and claim the promises. Lord, help us. Forgive us. Help set our feet back on solid ground. Help us to make choices that are wise and turn to you and resist the next time the Satan, Satan tries to come and tempt us. Lord, forgive us for the times we've taken our eyes off of you and looked at everything else except you. We pray all this in your holy name. Amen.